welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome to the 100th Time Shifters podcast episode. 100th since, since the reboot. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Th- th- thank you, crowd. <laughs> Playing the crowd is Tom. Hi, guys. <laughs> and congratulations, Chris. No, uh, seriously, this is a big deal for you. You put a lot of time and effort. This is a... You, you've put a lot of passion into this. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. You should celebrate this moment, and I can't believe we picked such an awesome film to celebrate it with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not your first choice, but since we had it and pl- worked before we started this episode. <laughs> yeah, I I will admit I might have planned this episode a little bit more, but honestly, the it kind of snuck up on me. I mean, I, I, when I label the episodes as I'm editing I, I label them as the episode numbers but it was like I was just seeing them as objects and not really reading the numbers and I'm finally going it got to be like oh wait a minute <laughs> 99 that the next episode's 100 <laughs> well see then then if if this isn't everything that you had ever dreamed of for your 100th then kick off 101 <laughs> with whatever bang that you feel we need to yeah. No, I think I think we just let it go. We'll just <laughs> carry on as usual. Uh, it has been a lot of fun. I, I, certainly, a big thank you goes out to Matt, who you know when I decided to start the podcast back up, it was literally a I threw it out there kind of thing. Hey, you all want to come? I need someone to host a podcast, and he's like, I, I might like to do that. Sure, let's give it a shot. Three and a half years later, we were still doing it, and. His life just got busy, he had a bow out, and, and, and shout out to you. I didn't know what I was going to do with the show. I was like, well, I'll try to do, maybe I'll just do a, some, get random people on. Maybe I'll try to do something solo, but you, you stepped up, and it certainly has made things a lot easier going forward <laughs> from that time. So I'm, I'm happy to have you with me here on this 100th episode. And I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, it was one of those things, uh, you and I grew up talking about all of this stuff. I, I'd like to say whether by purpose or otherwise, uh, I've been a part of this from the beginning in one way, shape, or form, and the fact that I now get to actually be a part of it. It's a lot of fun for me. Uh, it wasn't one of those things that just instantly said, I, I want to do that. And then when you came and said, hey, you know, uh, Matt, Matt's moving on, and I'm looking at options, and I threw it out there, I I haven't looked back. It's been great fun. Good, and I'm I'm glad. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. Uh, I I think it's one of these things. Podcasting seems to be one of these things that once the bug bites you, 
<laughs> you got to keep going. I, I, I do agree. I instantly look forward to each and every time we do this. Uh, I look forward to finding either the most awesome or the goofiest movies for us to to look <laughs> at uh, the uh, the discussions we have and just the general silliness of it all. It's just we would do this for and not that we aren't doing it for free, but <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. but. We would do this. Kind of are, just... yeah. Sorry, I thought you knew. I thought. <laughs> well, I've been waiting. I thought for when the... the checks didn't, when the checks didn't come in, you, it would start to be apparent. I just yeah. still figured there was a Christmas bonus every year. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, uh, w- once we got started, uh, it's been way too much fun. I mean, I can envision a. There were so many times we just we were up all night having these exact same conversations. Now we just force people to listen to us do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It does become a little bit addicting. I mean, look at look at Matt. I mean, one of the things that started taking up some of his time is he went and started his own podcast. So, <laughs> and if you got to do that, I understand. <laughs> yes, yeah. So everyone, uh, go check out season fourteen. Time for a podcast. They are watching uh, the supernatural uh, one episode at a time, oh, wow. going through it. <laughs> at the time, it was only fourteen episodes or fourteen seasons. <laughs> Obviously, it's it's gone on a little further than that. He just wanted to guarantee that this thing would go for decades. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's a—it's a lot of fun. They, the three of them, have a good time uh, discussing that show, and it's definitely worth checking that one out. Got to get into some news. Um, maybe start with some of the sad stuff first, and we'll talk about some of the more in- interesting and, and fun stuff later. Uh, the one, the probably the oldest news, but I think it happened probably just a day or two after we recorded last time, is actor Ian Holm passed away. Uh, he kind of became, um, he'd been acting for years, uh, but I think people knew him best when he uh, showed up in the uh, Lord of the Rings movies. As uh, was he, he was Bilbo, wasn't he? he? He was, and he was. Yeah, for the Lord of the Rings, he was old Bilbo, just to not be confused yes. with the Hobbit films. And, oh, of course, everyone knows him as Ash from Alien. Yes, um, and then since we have recently done that film from The Fifth Element, uh, he was uh, Priest Vito Cornelius. Yeah, I forgot we just covered that not that long ago. Yeah, yeah I was just reading about him. A little bit, you know, as he passed, and you, of course, there's lots of articles about an actor once he's gone. Of course. <laughs> you know? uh, I, I found it very interesting. He started out on the stage, as many actors do, but he actually has severe stage fright. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's what pushed him into film. I thought that was very interesting. I had no idea about that. No, uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't have guessed that. Uh, but, I mean, it makes sense for a transition if he enjoyed acting that much, but... Just couldn't stand that pressure being in front of the audience at the time. He was such a f- an interesting and fun actor. He was one of those people who could take on just about any role. I mean, and and, and have a little bit of fun and as well. He would do the serious stuff, and then he would do something like Cornelius and Fifth Element. You know, uh, I just I love actors like I put him and like Patrick Stewart and uh, Sir Ian McKellen all in that same kind of gata, gata category where they'll. Their day job is like, oh, they're doing Shakespeare. You know, they're doing Hamlet or something in a couple months. And then like, oh, sorry, I have to run. Uh, I'm on do a set on the X-Men, you know? <laughs> well, and I, 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 yeah, I can appreciate that because I, I, I respect the building, the craft. But if you take it to a level where you're taking it too serious, it feels like you're taking the fun out of it. And let's let's face it, acting is it's 
pretend. It's make-believe. We all did it as kids. Um, these guys get are fortunate enough to do it as a career. And those that do it well enough should be celebrating the silly with the uh, serious. An amazing actor. Uh, he was 88 years old. Uh, complications from Parkinson's disease that, um, that he died from. So that's unfortunate. I, I feel like if he were healthy and still with us, he would still be sh- uh, churning things out. Oh, I almost, yeah, I could totally see that. Now, just recently, at the time of recording, uh, this just happened a few days before we recorded. Uh, where do you even begin? Uh, actor, writer, producer, uh, f- one of the funniest men alive, Carl Reiner, has passed away at the age of 98. One of those men that you think is just loves life so much that he would probably live forever. <laughs> But and he just about did. Ninety eight is not a yeah. Bad. No, he he put in a good <laughs> solid run. <laughs> uh, an amazing man. I don't know, Tom. Have you ever watched any of the old Dick Van Dyke show, uh, which he created? Uh, you know, I I have, and uh, I always remember that. Oh, while uh, probably not as relatable today as at the time, um, it was just it was just goofy fun stuff. I, I still think it's hilarious. I, I, I'm surprised. I'm always amazed when you tune into a show like that, and despite its age, you watch it and you're still laughing your ass off. You know, the, just the right people in the right place. It's kind of like that the lightning in a bottle sort of thing. It only happens every now and again. <laughs> but Carl Reiner was behind it all. Well, and actually, uh, going through some of his credits, uh, I find it hysterical. Uh, speaking of. Uh, um, not taking oneself so seriously and just enjoying what you do, even if you uh, take it to the silly. Um, and he, not that he wasn't a com- he's always been a comedic writer as well. Uh, but uh, one of his uh, last uh, credits uh, that I can find is that he wrote an episode of the Cleveland Show. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I, I guarantee you, it's probably one of the best episodes. <laughs> Yeah, just one of those greatest forces of good, I think, in the world. It's just uh, very sad. But he he brought us so much stuff to laugh about and to have fun with. Uh, He collected so many fantastic, fun friends. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, who is also still with us. Uh, His son, Rob Reiner, who is a fantastic director. So uh, his legacy will continue for a long, long time. I, I have to mention this because I just came across it and it's hysterical. Um, I did not know that he made a voice appearance in Toy Story 4 and his character name was Carl Reinersaurus. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I don't think I ever got around to Toy Story 4. Uh, you know what? You should, I, I think you should. Family night. Do it. Yeah, I know. I just... I hate ugly crying in front of everybody. <laughs> and damn move! Those damn Toy Story movies are almost guaranteed that that's going to happen. They're fairly effective. I think uh, I think it edged down a notch for four, so you might not be a sobbing mess at the end. But okay, that's good. I, that's that's the re- I still haven't seen Up because everyone told me you know I won't be able to go you know the first five minutes. So I'm like, uh, nope, yeah, no, nope, that, I'm good. Yeah, that, the, the, <laughs> the opening ten minutes of the movie will destroy your soul. <laughs> yes. The thing with the the up one, which is hysterical, is just it's so serious right out of the gate. Uh, not not in like it just sets a good mood. You get the idea, 
so that you can get the backstory of the guy. And then the rest of the movie is just very goofy by comparison. <laughs> this came up, uh, I think, just a few days ago. Margot Robbie is set to star in a female-led Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I know, I saw that. Birds of Prey screenwriter Christina Hodson is going to write the film. Sounds like it's going to be sort of a um, take place in the universe, a, a kind of a, a spinoff from the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, so I'm guessing no Jack Sparrow. One could hope. Or maybe, I have a feeling he, if they do this, I have a feeling he'll end up maybe in the end or something like that. I gotta imagine he'll, he'll be in there somewhere. a nod to the mm-hmm. past, something like that. They'll be sailing along and like, hey, is that the Black Pearl? Uh, you know, roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw the first two Pirates of the Caribbean. I remember really enjoying the first Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't remember anything from the second Pirates of the Caribbean. Or I remember what I remember is a blend of the two. I'm not sure. It's got to be better than what that Cutthroat Island or whatever that Gina Davis tried to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Of all the things to think of. Um <laughs> But no, um, and, and as we were discussing a little earlier, like I, I enjoy the aesthetic of the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, the the Johnny Depp thing was starting to get a little tiring, but all in all, I like I like the world. I like the I like the ship stuff. I like uh, I like the pirate stuff. I, I thought they were clever and fun, and I would love to see a clean story. Get it? let's let's. Get rid of that past and let's uh, let's go with another story. It's the swashbuckling thing. Right. I mean, think about some of the most popular films going back to the 30s, 40s, 50s. The Errol Flynn stuff. Yeah. It's all the, the Robin Hoods, the Captain Blood, you know, all that stuff. It's the swashbuckling. It's the, the swinging from the long arm and, and, and the swords clashing and, and cannons. I mean, yeah, you that's exciting. People eat that stuff up, even today. It's still fun. It's popcorn theater. It's what you... It, what, yeah. We, especially right now, everybody just wants something fun, something that uh, takes their mind off of it, and this is the that kind of thing, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's exactly what we need is just a fun film that doesn't go out of its way to try to depress you or to try to uh, hammer home some point or anything like that. It's like, let's just have a good time. I get it. The, I, I get the seriousness of the world. It's, uh, it, I'm not taking away from it, but I don't need to learn something every five seconds. <laughs> I don't need to be given a new perspective on an old problem every five seconds. Sometimes I just want to enjoy the thing. <laughs> Today, listening to another podcast, I was listening to, uh, I saw that years ago, where they reviewed the film Twister, Mm -hmm. which is a film that my family and I just sat down and watched not that long ago. We talked about it briefly here, I think, just uh, not, we haven't reviewed it, but we talked about it, that that I had watched it, and it is just, it's one of those films that I'd love. We saw it many times in the theater when it was, you know, when it first was released and everything. I counted almost 10. (laughs) Maybe you saw it 10. I'm sure I saw at least four or five, but... (laughs) But that is, that is one of those films where it's just like, you know, sit back, watch it. No sense whatsoever. Makes no sense. Everything is just ridiculous. Ah, but it's such a good time. By the way, Joe and Martin didn't like it. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are. What the heck? <laughs> but just the other day, I decided to revisit. First time I've seen it since it was in the theater, I watched The Meg again. Yeah. You know, I saw it in the theater on like a free pass 
I, I liked it. You know, I went to the theater like, ah, oh, this was this was fun. So I was like, oh, I'm curious to see if it's still fun. So I watched it at home. It is. It's just the same thing. It's a stupid but fun movie. It is just, you put it in, you sit back, and ah, just have a great time. Now, since we're still in the news portion and you brought up Twister, did you see that uh, it's up for reboot? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, well, didn't they? Didn't they kind of already try that? They did the the, the some storm movie, Storm of the Century. What the heck was that uh, called? I, uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's the movie. I can never remember the damn name, but it was the same thing. It was all about tornado chasers and trying to yeah. do something. And it it starred the woman that played uh, Carl's mom from The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It had her and. Uh, and the most of it was supposed to be all shot as uh, um, it was like found footage kind of style where uh, everything was recorded from something else. Like it was recorded by the people that were in the movie. I don't remember that so much. Maybe they did that in, in some bits or something like that. I don't remember. But it, it left zero impression on me other than the fact that it exists. Right. <laughs> Since you can't <laughs> I, even I remember feel like, the title. Yeah. And I feel like um, I feel like any attempt to try to redo the twister is going to be the same way. You took a notion. You took something that some people do, and yes, there's some educational benefit to some of what they do. But it sounds crazy, and somebody made a movie out of it, and and it just happened to work. It was kind of that one little magical thing. And I don't know if you can just keep recapturing that because it worked that time. Exactly. Again, I used the term earlier, the lightning in a bottle. You know, it was the right people, the right place, the right movie at the right time. And uh, talk about sad scenes. I remember watching that, uh, the film with my family, and there's a, uh, there's a, there's a shot with uh, Bill Paxson and Philip Seymour Hoffman standing side by side together in the frame. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I I recently rewatched it too, and uh, I saw that same thing. I'm like, oh, that's not that's not right. <laughs> I know it, it, as dark as it is, the first thing that came to my mind is like, there's no one on screen alive today. <laughs> oh, God. By the way, the uh, the name of the movie you're looking for is Into the Storm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now your life is complete. <laughs> yeah, I may have to try to revisit that one just. If I watch it again, maybe I'll remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's only one scene out of the entire film that still kind of always sticks with me because they they made a big deal out of uh, something caught fire or exploded, and then the twister that was on there sucked it up, so there was like a fire tornado, uh, and that made for a nice little on-screen moment. But yeah, and one of the characters at that time, yeah, got sucked up into it and caught fire while also spinning in the uh, the tornado. I'm like, okay. Yes, and I'm I'm sure six months later there was a fire twisters the movie or something on Sci-Fi, you know, from Asylum or something like that. And I know you're a great lover of all the Sharknado movies. I'm <laughs> I'm um, I'm a fan of the first one. <laughs> So you mentioned something while we're sticking uh, with entertainment, with television and, uh, and movies. Mm -hmm. You had a little bit of news. Yes. Uh, um, um, one of the things that, uh, being the, the Trekkie that I am, um, um, I'm looking forward to, uh, they announced a release date, August 6th, for Star Trek Lower Decks, the uh, first, 
Well, not the first Star Trek animated series, but the first one in a great long time and the first one that's intended to be a comedy. That should be interesting. Yes, no, I I, I like the premise. I like the premise that we're not necessarily in the fast lane watching the great universe of Starfleet and the Federation unfold. We're just looking at the day-to-day doings of some of the more minor officers aboard one of... uh, uh, Starfleet starships. I do wonder though if they're going to do a, you know a Star Trek comedy. If people are going to go and like, yeah, the Orville did it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, that is a, that is a tough thing. Uh, like uh, like a lot of people say, some of the best Star Trek out is Orville. Now this uh, animated series will that be on the CBS All Access or whatever it is? Yes, you too will need to pay to watch a cartoon that was originally, I believe, intended to go to Cartoon Network. Not sure I understand, you know, CBS's need to have everything all under one roof like that. It seems like they would it would be better off spreading it out. You know, put it on the network, put it on Cartoon Network, put it put it on Sci-Fi. You know, get it out there. It just seems like the widen your you know big throw the bigger net and get a wider audience than to have it all under the pay roof. I wish I had had more time during the day. Uh, The local NPR station here had a um, noontime talk series where they actually were bringing up the conversation around all of the streaming services that are coming online and how uh, the, the bigger trend right now is all of the, as they called it, terrestrial TV starting their own versions of and and they're they're all competing for a very thin slice of the pie because everybody's used to them um, operating on television, live television, um, and now they they're trying to make content that will suck you in. Uh, the interesting point I heard before I didn't have any time is is the idea that this is less about like. Here in the U.S., where we're used to having a CBS and an NBC, it was since NBC is kicking off Peacock uh, this mm-hmm. month, they're trying to actually get to more of an international market. Uh, this is an opportunity to sell services around the world that wouldn't necessarily have access to a, the already existing CBS and NBC content. Interesting thought, but when you start factoring in how many different streaming services there are gonna be, I mean, they start to quickly become cost prohibitive. Yeah, and it feels like we're just trading one thing for another again. We've had this discussion, I think you and I have talked about it on the show. I know Matt and I talked about it uh, ad nauseum on the show is just it's turning into the streaming stuff is now turning in it's effectively just cable or satellite it's the same thing it's just one was supposed to free you from the other but it's meet the new boss same as the old boss <laughs> exactly and then watching like how uh disney plus did it by um one of their one of the ways to engage their services is to buy the bigger package that's very cable-like by getting Disney Plus, Hulu, and the ESPN all together under one package. I really think that's the way a lot of this is going to end up trending, is at some point you'll find a conglomerate that will pull the individual services under a single umbrella. Um, uh, Comcast continues to do it because they they pair with uh, Netflix. If you have a Comcast 
account, you get your Netflix account paid for, and then now because Comcast, um, what is it? Comcast owns NBC. Uh, Peacock is I believe so. yeah. Peacock, uh, uh, it will be a streaming services that's already available to you as a Comcast uh, a client. The idea has always been for me. I've always wanted to cut the cable to save the money, right. but. Now it's looking with all these different streaming services and the way everything's going. It's like I've seen the the, the savings dwindling. Right. <laughs> it's, it's you're going to end up having to pay for so many streaming services that you might as well just have the cable or the satellite. Exactly. Well, and I find myself in the boat where I still enjoy my cable enough to uh, to keep that and then still have a couple of streaming services which then just exponentially grows that yeah and it's it's really getting to be a problem I know people used to talk about it when cable came around is that there was so much on that it was overwhelming and now we're we're hitting that again there's so many options that you go to sit down to watch something and it's like well where do I begin? Do I watch the hundreds of things that I have? Do I watch the millions of things that's available on Prime? Do I watch the millions of things that I'm available on this streaming service? Or do I do I tune into this? Or what about this YouTube series? And like uh, by the time it, it takes me a half an hour to figure out what the hell I'm going to watch, and then I can only watch half of it because it's now midnight, right? <laughs> you know, and I got to be up at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, um, and here, I, I challenge our listening audience to come back with anything around this conversation, too, because I think we could devote almost an entire episode to this thought. With streaming services, while, yes, there are the recommendations, because they're not on a schedule, it's pick and choose what you want to watch. So you're going to have to be deliberate about it. You might find yourself surfing through an endless sea of titles just to come across something. Whereas in the cable world, these are already running channels. So as you're going through the menu of what's available on at the time, one of the things that still fascinates me with cable and why I still kind of enjoy it is the idea of that capturing something in the moment, that thing that you didn't know you wanted to watch. So like, and the biggest example was this past weekend uh, I turned on the TV, I went through the guide real quick, and granted, it can be a giant wasteland. But, all of a sudden, Jeff Goldblum's The Fly was on. And I'm like, mm. I haven't seen that in years. I would love to watch that again, so I turned that on. Could I do that with a streaming service? Absolutely, but I'd have to seek it out, whereas this was now presented in the moment. So, I kind of enjoy that uh, I stumbled right. across it. Yeah, there's, a, there's only so many titles that are in the you-might-like-this section right. of, of any streaming service. And, and I have found some stuff. There has been many a time that it, you may like this. And yes, yes, I would like that. <laughs> they have you become know. many of your podcasts. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's limited. And there's still so many other things. And there is no way that you can go through and, like you were saying, you go through the guide and you can flip through and see what what it is and there's no real way not as easy anyway there's not a way that you can do that on like amazon prime you you there's just so much and one of the things now i don't know that every cable service has it and it's not necessarily on every channel necessarily too 
But one of the things that I enjoy, at least on my Comcast uh, system, is a great many of the channels. If you come across a show that you decided you wanted to watch, uh, they have a restart feature so that if you came in at halfway through the episode, you just hit the restart and you can start from the beginning. I love mm-hmm. that. That way you still get that surprise, but then you can like, oh, I didn't miss anything. Yeah, I, b- I believe uh, we have a DirecTV and I believe in, in, in a lot of things you can do that as well, but you can you can go back to the beginning. That's awesome. That's one of those little things that makes it hard for me to get rid of it. Well, moving from that, this little fun little bit of news story, I thought this was kind of cool. NASA wants your help. It's looking for designs, and it's willing to pay up to $35,000 in prizes to design a toilet that can be used on the moon, making a lunar... Lu... Lu... NASA has set a goal to send astronauts back to the moon by 2024, and obviously the crew is going to need to use the restroom while they're there. Apparently it's going to be a little bit longer term than just uh, stopping and then you know landing, collecting rocks, and leaving. Uh, the mission is set to include the first female astronaut ever to travel to the moon. So the toilets will have to be able to accommodate both men and women. So anyone, any engineers out there, get your thinking caps on and uh, see what you can do. All right, I think that's all the news that's fit to talk about. So we are going to take a short break here. And when we get back for our 100th episode, we're going to talk about the 1982 sword and sorcery film... Directed by Don Coscarelli, The Beastmaster. Okay, you know what it's like. You're flicking through Amazon or the local DVD shop when suddenly you discover a film that you haven't seen in years, but which you remember as being legendary. The purchase is hastily made, you invite friends over, make popcorn and settle down to watch this classic. Then it becomes apparent that your mind has double-crossed you, and that this film is frankly awful. Soon your friends have deserted you, your boss says he has to let you go, and even your dog won't come when you call. How did it go so wrong? Well, in the interests of public harmony, a new podcast I saw that years ago sets out to watch the old films that your memory has convinced you are brilliant, but which in reality could be anything but. So join me, your host Martin Darkley, and my compatriot, Gentleman Joe, as we watch the old films so you don't have to. Find us at www.isawthatyearsago.com or on iTunes. was foretold by witches. It was conceived through sorcery. And it was to be destroyed by all that is evil. But the courage of one mortal saved it. And so, into an age of darkness, in a time of mysticism, sacrifice, and plunder, there came the only light. The Beastmaster. Born with the strength of a black tiger, the courage of an eagle, the power that made him more than any hero, 
more than any lover. He was lord and master over all beasts. Ah. He was the beast master. Behold the wonder. The horror. The fantasy. The challenge of the one warrior they called. The beast master. Mark Singer is Dar. Tanya Roberts is Carrie. Rip Torn is Mayak. John Amos is Seth. Together, they take us on a fascinating journey back into unexplored times. Conquer your fears. Face the unknown. And discover the incredible link between man, animal, and all that is phantasmagorical. In the world of dungeons, dragons, and dar. The Beastmaster. The epic adventure of a new kind of hero. In the kingdom of Aruk, the high priest Mayax is given a prophecy by his witches that he would die facing the son of King Zed. So he decides that this child must be killed. He sends one of his witches to kidnap and kill the child, but before she can carry it out, a villager happens by and rescues the child, and then raises him as his own in the village of Emer. The child, as he grows up, uh, learns that he has the ability to telepathic, telepathically communicate with animals. Now fully grown, Dar witnesses the slaughter of his city by the Junes, a horde of barbarians allied with Mayak. Dar, the only survivor of the attack, journeys to avenge his people. Now, this is a film, like I said, was directed by Don Coscarelli. It stars Mark Singer and Tanya Roberts. And Rip Torn has the most cashing a paycheck uh, <laughs> Rip Torn role you could possibly ask for. This was interesting. This is a film, it went in the theater, but did pretty poor in the box office. But this is a film that came at just the right time because we're just talking about cable television and everything. The burgeoning cable, people are scrounging to find something to fill the 24 hours that their stations are suddenly on. Here's this film. <laughs> Here's Beastmaster. This thing ran all the freaking time. Uh, particularly on TBS and HBO. So the, the jokes were that TBS stood for the Beastmaster station. <laughs> and HBO stood for, hey, Beastmaster's on. <laughs> you say that like there's something wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> this film, uh, because of kind of like the, the fact that it was in everyone's face all the time on cable, it actually managed to spawn two sequels as well as a television series. Mm -hmm. Uh pretty impressive for a failed box office film know, right <laughs> i'm gonna just kick it off with the idea as i watched this again on sunday night and i was taken back to all of those times that i watched this film i still love this film um and mark singer i am man enough to say in that movie is my man crush uh <laughs> He put on a very nice build. He 
he was he was every bit the beast master yeah this was pretty early in uh mark singer's career i think he was kind of doing little spots on you know spots on tv um yep. yeah tv movies nothing yeah nothing yeah. it was super special he was in uh roots the next generation so yeah this is pretty early in his career probably one of the first at the time probably would have been his biggest role probably you know big major motion picture kind of thing yep and then after this i don't i think the fact that this movie bombed like it did in the theater i think yeah, that kind of straight back to tv yes he did to use the the vernacular of some of my southern ancestors bless his heart <laughs> <laughs> mark singer is not a good actor <laughs> Hey, uh, he did uh, do some amazing work as actually one of my more favorite uh, characters in the Batman the Animated Series. Oh, he, he did was do Kirk Langstrom. He was the Man Bat. He did do some voice work yeah, later on too. Yeah, he did. Uh, I knew him well a, from Beastmaster, obviously, and yes. then of course, I'm gonna guess I knew him more from the V miniseries. Yes, uh, yes, even even. I don't know if I... I think I saw V before I saw Beastmaster. I could see that. Yeah, and then after that, yeah, he just has kind of spotty appearances on television through the, pretty much the rest of his career. But yes, at the time, he was young. He was yeah, incredible, in incredible shape. I mean... Yes. He was a good-looking guy, uh, but the, he was not a great actor. But and I don't know yeah. if even a good actor could really help some of the lines and some of the things in this film... You know, my my, fav- my favorite line of the f- movie, I'm Dar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, for for our hero, Dar was kind <laughs> kind of like we couldn't have come up with something a little better than Dar. <laughs> Watching it again, I was actually mystified um, about actually how little dialogue is actually in this film. Who, uh, the, those making the film were very much in love with the bird. That hawk got tons of scream time. Oh, it's hilarious. The the hawk, uh, which apparently was really bad at its job. Apparently had they had a real hard time getting that thing to do what they wanted to do. It wouldn't fly on command and stuff like that. So they kind of had to keep reusing footage. And then the fun thing, you know, they wanted a panther for him. But apparently panthers are really hard to work with, so they got a tiger, which they dyed with uh, Clairol hair coloring. Did they actually dye the, the tiger? I, I I didn't take the time to look up if they had actually found a black tiger. No, they they dyed the hair. They did use like Clairol hair coloring to dye the tiger, and and in some scenes you can actually see some of the stripes showing through at, around <laughs> his mouth. Because it would yeah. it would wash off every time he'd get a drink or lick his chops right. too much. <laughs> Nothing like sending your tiger to makeup. <laughs> you you were saying how much you enjoy this film. I have to admit it. I mean, it's another one of those movies. It's a stupid movie. It's a bad movie, but damned, it is enjoyable. I mean, th- it really is. There is so much wrong with this movie, but yet you watch it and just. You have such a good time with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I found myself still creeped. I remember when I was a kid when I saw it, and then 
even Sunday night when I rewatched it, being creeped out by the leather winged uh, guys, bird bat people. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 things they eat people by wrapping their, <laughs> giving them a big hug. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I'll also say this, because I was thinking about them when I was watching this movie, and I saw how long this movie was. This movie is like, what, an nearly two hours long? Yeah. It's 118 yeah. minutes or something. This movie does not need to be two hours long. You could definitely cut out the 15 minutes we spend staring at the Bat People. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, between that and if you cut out just every other scene of the hawk flying, um, <laughs> or you get it down to a tight forty-five, <laughs> yeah, or the ten minutes of singing Mark Wink, singing Mark Singer swing a stick, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Yeah, but they needed him to to get every muscle flexed yeah. <laughs> on screen. He and that trainer worked really damn hard to make him look like that. (laughs) And that's the last time he ever looked like that. (laughs) Because I don't remember him even uh, putting on quite the same physique for their sequels. Mm -hmm. And I, unfortunately, I have seen the sequels. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever you introduce the Beastmaster to time travel, that's not going to go well. Uh, no. Oh, they did do that. Was it like the, the third film or something? Wasn't that Beastmaster in Time? The second one. That's the second one? That's the second one. Oh, my one. God. All right. right out of the gate. Yeah, it's a, it's Beastmaster 2, Through the Portal of Time. I can't believe they actually did that on the second. That's usually like the third or fourth. Even the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles waited to like the third or fourth film before they did that. <laughs> they, it was the third one. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just feel I, I one. I'll admit it's nostalgia. This that was the that was hitting that right time for me too. That's your 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 preteens to early teen time. By the time it's on TV, and you've got Tanya Roberts, who is like she's one of the hotties of uh of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll admit, Sunday was the first time I had actually seen it um, uncut, so I was actually not aware there was real nudity in there. Again, nineteen Pete. This was a. I think it was released as a PG film. Just goes to show the differences of uh, <laughs> the difference of the time. Yep. Uh, a couple of sets of boobs wasn't enough to get it to. Uh, uh, well, and this predates pre- PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Not hard enough to be an R, but got boobies right. so it couldn't be a G. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was nudity in it, and that was one of the reasons I, I I would have loved to have sat down and watched this with my son. But I knew there was. You know, like, nah, wife isn't going to be too thrilled with some of this. <laughs> so I better, I best not. I suppose, but even uh, even for nudity, it was actually incredibly innocent. It's just a scene uh, swimming in the water. Yeah, it was um, pretty tame. Yeah, I mean, there there was nothing sexual about it. It was more like, oh, I got caught. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> you do see during the uh, the pillaging of the uh, of the of the village. There's a gratuitous, there's a woman running out of a burning building or something like that, and suddenly her top rips and her breasts fall out. And it's kind of one of those brief little moments like, wait, did you, wait, was that? You, you, <laughs> you can imagine yourself being 14, 15 years old and going, 
Were those boobies? <laughs> <laughs> I saw boobies. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I, I, I must have literally not been looking at the screen at the moment. I didn't see it. It is. You could literally blink and miss it. I mean, it, I think my eyes just happened to be open when it happened. Yeah, apparently during the production, uh, Cosc- you're talking about uh, Tanya Roberts. That was not the choice for uh, uh, Coscarelli. He wanted to get Demi Moore. Oh, really? Yeah, he wanted Demi Moore for the role of Kiri. But the executive producer, who he apparently butted heads with quite a lot during the production of the film, um, is the one that got Tanya Roberts cast. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I would feel with Demi Moore in that, that role. Uh, it would be interesting. Well, she did a couple like of these early 80s sort of uh, sci-fi slash horror type films. There was one called Parasite, I think, starred a young yeah. Demi Moore. Okay, might have been about the same time. Um, so yeah, she I mean, she was no big name or anything. She was kind of an up and comer at the time. She probably would have been cheaper than Tanya Roberts. Yeah, after all, she she's got that big uh, uh, Charlie's Angels stuff going. Was she in doing a, a Charlie's Angels by then? She was like a replacement yeah. angel, wasn't she? She was. She was a later season. I'd have to... Uh, I'm not familiar with But I'm that. guessing she at least had her kind of modeling and pinup kind of career. She was more yeah. well-known. So, I mean, they had a, a budget of all of $9 million for the film. And I imagine Coscarelli would have liked to have spent more of that elsewhere than on the some of the stars. So, yeah, Demi Moore probably would have been a lot less. Uh, they were looking for Klaus Kinski to play Mayak. Interesting. But again, salary dispute on that one, and it, it fell on Rip Torn. I really liked Rip Torn in this, though. Yeah? I did. He Well, it actually looked like for being a villain, a, a true and hardcore villain, he looked like he was having a good time being a villain. Yeah, possibly. I understand, if I remember right, did I I think I read that he's not actually the most enjoyable person to work for or work with. Really? I I could be completely wrong about that. I'm sorry. I I just seem to remember some news stories or something coming up that he was um maybe it was just he liked to just kind of be do his thing and 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 that was it. But I you know, obviously he was a you know, a working actor, you know, you you pay him the the money. He's happy to do the work, and he wants to, uh, I'm, I'm done. But I really enjoyed him as Mayak. I mean, uh, that, that was, for me, uh, I just remember that being, that, that, was, a, that was a bad dude. I oh, mean, yeah. Was, oh, well, yeah, he was, was throwing was, kids into a fire pit. I mean, I, come on. I, well, I know, and uh, this is 1982. By the time I'm watching it, I'm, I'm a little older, but I'm not that far off the age of the kids that he's throwing into the fire. Right. So I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, that is, it is rather dark, especially for this time that you have got somebody killing kids. We see the death of animals or, yep. well, the supposed, you know, supposedly on screen, yeah. you know, deaths of animals. So like, this is actually going down some dark places that most films avoid. I know, and again, this film is constantly filled with those little things, those moments, and I admit, it's when it struck me in my life. If this had been timed any other time, it'd probably not, it'd bounce off of me without without so much of a thought, but it hit at that right time, that's that... It's that moment where um, 
you're you're now actually considering women. Your 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 attraction is growing. Um, you're also you're excited by these things. You're getting uh you're getting um your first glimpse at some of the. This is still gentle enough that it's not scary, but dark enough that it gives you some pause about the stuff that you see. Um, it just hit me in that right spot in time. So lots of this movie is very memorable to me. And you mentioned the, the animals things. And and I even saw on online as someone making the comment about uh, really remembering the ferrets. Sure. Because the Kodo and Poto were, were so much fun in that. They were so cute. Uh, and so much fun to watch, and characters unto themselves. And when when Kodo dies, uh, that's actually kind of sad in that moment. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and uh, just to make a, an official correction, it didn't. Um, it wasn't a bomb at the box office. Uh, <laughs> the budget was nine million. The box office was fourteen. So it made a little bit of money. It it was mediocre, but it was not exactly a uh, roaring success. Right. But I think it was funny. I think you can attribute this film doing okay at the box office, but I think it's um, the fact that everyone was watching it on cable. It became like one of the an early kind of cult phenomena that mm-hmm. it brought on a lot of mid to late 80s and going into early 90s sword and sorcery uh, films, all of which actually what's funny, this is probably the best out of just about all of them. There was a yeah. lot of copycats that came after that are did not, you know, do well in the box office and did not garner a lot of attention on cable television. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, other than getting into stuff like um, uh, the Conans, which were were based off of the 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 literature in the the comic book series, and uh, and of course you get Arnold, and then as we've got coming up, Red Sonia. Other than those, I, I, I know those. I know Beastmaster, and those are my those are my sword and sorcery uh, movies. Those, those are my go-tos. Those are the ones that I remember that, and that I that I can say I like. There were so many others that I just don't care. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's been a few that have popped up on Prime or or, or Tubi, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll watch that. And oh yeah, this is the one that's got the the sword with like three blades and everything. And, they're awful. They're not even like so bad. They're good. No, they're just bad. My buddy Scott would be mad, but yeah, you get your crawls. Oh God, <laughs> crawl! <laughs> and I know for a great many, and I apologize to those that because there are those out there that crawl is is a go to film, but it's not good. <laughs> now this is something I didn't know until kind of researching the film just after watching it, that it was actually, it was loosely, it, it's admittedly loosely based on a 1959 novel called The Beastmaster. It was written by uh, Andre Alice Norton, who uh, wrote lots of historical fiction and uh, as well as uh, contemporary fiction. Uh, she wrote primarily under the pen name Andre Norton. It, that explained a lot, because when I was watching this film, it felt like there was things like the bat creatures and what were the the death guards. There were there mm-hmm. were certain things thrown in that I'm feeling like taking bits and pieces out of a book and just want to make sure to include it. And yeah. now I kind of get the feeling that's probably exactly what they were doing. Yeah, I, I could see that because uh, the way some of the character, some of that those elements get introduced, 
they're, they don't flow with what was going on up to that point. Like, I even remember, uh, like, the, the, the leather-winged creature people, um, he was following Kiri, and then all of a sudden he sees a tree and goes to it, and that's where they are. Weren't you doing something? Yeah, and then the, those Death Guard things, um, you're, like, halfway, past halfway through this film by the time you even know those are a thing. Now, actually, I'm just reaching the, reading the plot summary of the Beastmaster here, and that's not the case either. No. Because <laughs> apparently that takes place right here on Earth. The Beastmaster tells of Hostin Storm, a Navajo and former soldier who has empathic and telepathic connections with a group of genetically altered animals. The team emigrates from Earth to the distant planet Arzor, where it is hired to herd livestock. I don't know. I guess they go to a, uh, an alien land, so maybe there's, maybe some of these characters can still show up. <laughs> it makes me kind of curious to read the, uh, read the novel though now. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. The the Death Guard thing shows up. Yeah, we're halfway into the film, and we get this. Oh, and we get this big ex- uh, description about how, and and we get to see how Death Guards are made. And it serves absolutely no purpose other than to have um, some guy running around chasing a ferret. <laughs> and then just disappears. <laughs> yep. And does just disappear. Because, I mean, at that moment in the film, after he's chased Koto and Poto to the ed- edge of the thing, and he falls over the thing, they fall over too, only the dude's down at the bottom with his uh, carriage of hay... Where'd that thing go? Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't even see it laying on the ground like he drove up after it died. Um, <laughs> it's just not there. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, and the uh, the, the, the bat people uh, get shown up fairly early in the film, and they're kind of like, you know, Chekhov's bat people. We show them in the first act, so we have to use them in the third act. Of course. Uh, but you could have easily not had them and still had your heroes come out on top. Uh, without wasting the 20 minutes that you did with them. Other than that, they did look cool, and they did, you know, uh, burn memories, burn images into little mm-hmm. kids' minds. I remember them, too. Oh, I, yeah, that, that fir- the, when uh, the one eats the, the little dude that Dara yeah. lets out of the cage, uh, yeah, that was incredibly memorable, watching the, his face press up against the leather wing and... And the thing's just digesting them, him while standing there and throws the bones out. That's one of those images that sticks with you without really know. You don't even know where it's from, but you remember right. that. Yep, exactly. Yeah, but like you say, uh, they, they introduced the character just so that they could have it back later. And I, I mean, we reached the climax of the film and uh, he's he's beaten Mayax and the Jun Horde is on its way and... He has the, 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 the battle of strength with the, uh, the leader of the Jun Horde after even outsmarting them uh, and forcing most of the army to burn in the, in the tar pit. Um, he's having the battle on the, the bridge. He wins that battle, throws that guy into the fire, and by what he actually had laid out, that should have been the end of uh, the battle because... He rose to the challenge, and the Juns should have left because their leader had been destroyed. But no, we needed a we needed the leather people to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But hey, that too was, uh, at, while unnecessary, it was still kind of fun, especially the the nod from the high priest uh, uh, leather people <laughs> from on high. <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely got some uh, bits and pieces. Another thing that I always remembered was the, uh, the, the eye ring. Yes. Which looks freaky. I'm still impressed, actually, how good that effect looks. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that effect was still absolutely amazing. I mean, it, from all intents and purposes, there was an eyeball in that ring. That could look around and do stuff. And I'm, like, I'm not exactly sure what and how, but they did a great job they with really that. They really did. And, and again, yes, a fully memorable moment that when... when um, Oh, what's the what's the character's name? Um, uh, Seth. Uh, when Seth finally notices that the there is an eye in the ring and then is watching, and he reaches for a hot stick from the fire and jabs it in there, it's cringeworthy moment. <laughs> yes, that part doesn't ever escape you after you've seen it. Uh, it does some other fun things, you know, the whole. Um out of nowhere, you know, they, they, they get in, they go, they get to Arik and they get to the big pyramid and they sneak in and, uh, Kiri wanders off, goes through some secret passage. You're like, what, what's going on? My, your first thought, I mean, my first thought watching this for the first time in years was like, does she, is she actually working for the, for Mayak? Right. But then she comes out and she's like changed her clothes and she's got a knife. Like, Oh no, she turns out she was a part of a sect of ancient warriors. This used to be her their temple. Like wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Uh when? <laughs> um where are they? <laughs> Is this Yeah, did I miss a movie? <laughs> that's the prequel. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like. I felt like we needed a prequel. There were there were lots of those little goofy moments, but I none of them none of them detract from just how much fun. Uh, I mean, maybe the eagle carrying the eight year old child and <laughs> hawk. And what you didn't believe that that actually happened? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe that takes you out a little bit. <laughs> I I'll grant you that one, especially since uh. And I'm I'm gonna say this, not not necessarily that it was a giant effects-driven anything, but everything except that works. Like there's not a point during the film. Uh, the fight sequences are a little like for for a solar sword wheeling thing. Everything is very timed. <laughs> like. Oh, no, I'm pretty... There was a couple moments where you could literally see the setup. Like, you'd see someone sort of, like, pause, like, waiting for the other guy to get in position. Yeah, like, dun, dun, dun. You can almost hear him counting the steps off. Yep. <laughs> and, like, okay, that aside, but, I mean, the look was consistent. Uh, the, the effects, like, the eyeball in the ring were really good. Um... The uh, I I really enjoyed uh, like uh, the guy. Not that there was any reason that it should have happened, but when the guy died that had the ring in the first place, and his hand juts up out of the uh, out of the cauldron, uh, that was an awesome little effect, and it all worked for the sword and sorcery part of it. But yes, 
the the hawk carrying off a a girl three times its size was a smidge off. <laughs> you could spend a lot of time picking this oh, film yeah. apart pretty pretty yeah. easily. But it is a film that if you want to, you just like we were talking about with Twister and the Meg, you can just turn it on and sit back and just let it wash off over you and have a good time. Yes, there are some problematic moments. Uh, Obviously, yeah, Hawks carrying children, Dar using his uh, giant panther to... uh, to trick a woman into, oh, I rescued you. You you have to kiss me now. Uh, kind the of misogyny stuff. aside, it was a cute scene. <laughs> but then we find out that she might be his cousin. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Being older and uh, okay. So he's the firstborn of the king, but this younger boy is also a son of this king, but to who we don't know because his mom died. And somehow this other girl is that boy's cousin making her his cousin, unless it's by the second. Well, and even that's a little weird because she, when she's talking to Dar before they get to the, to the, to the, to rescue King Zed, she says that the king is her cousin. But then when they find him in the cell, she goes down to him and calls him uncle. Like, wait, <laughs> that's not cousin. <laughs> oh, see, I always took it that um, the the younger kid, and I can't remember his name at all. Um, tall. Tall was cousins with Kiri. Right. But she actually tells Dar uh, that the king is her cousin. Oh, I missed that part. Until they rescue him, and then she calls him uncle. Interesting. Yeah, I caught the uncle part. I missed the first part. A problem with the script as far as exactly how she's related. Uh, I think they keep with the niece and uncle thing uh, for the rest of right. the film. They, they they work in the crazy thing where Zed, despite being saved by this guy, decides that, ah, you talk to animals. You're a freak. I don't want your right. help. <laughs> well, sorry, blind dude who who lost his who is who lost his kingdom to rip torn (laughs) and who didn't i just drag you out of the hole (laughs) even if you think i'm a freak where's the gratitude and you could make a party out of picking this thing apart i mean it that's I think some of its attraction is you can't take any of it serious because it's it's not it's not a great film. It's it's not. No. It's just a fun film. And it hits on where it hits right, it hits it actually hits you in the feelings. Um his <laughs> his relationship with the animals that I mean it let's let's get to it. The movie's called The Beastmaster. And he is the master of these beasts and it's not a command thing. This is a mutual respect thing. This is a they need each other thing, and they're a family. And and even that one moment after he's collected his little band, and he says, "I have my eyes. I have my cunning. I have my strength." I'm like, "That's awesome. I I I love this moment, and I love the way and." kudos to the animal trainers too i mean their difficulties with the hawk and all that and having to um send your tiger to makeup in order to make it black um (laughs) but 
three tigers, apparently. But yeah, but those tigers were on screen with those people. And right. the actors were touching the animals without distraction. Yeah, I was noticing that too, that there was many moments where Mark Singer's walking alongside this tiger and he'd reach down and you pat him on the back and send him on his way. I'm like, uh huh. How cool I is know, that? Right? <laughs> I mean, this is that's that's worth the gig right there. I, and that's part of what why this this just sits in the right spot for me. I'm like, yeah, the the story's goofy and a little inconsistent, but stuff like that. I mean, it just seems so natural. He had a tiger companion, and that thing listened to him, and he listened to the tiger, and. And the part with Kiri where where he's got the tiger trying to act all fierce and it's just giving them the, the whatever dude look <laughs> as he's gonna lay down and take a nap and you're like, dude, you're you're ruining this. <laughs> like, bro, you're my wingman. <laughs> you're letting me down. <laughs> I mean, there are times you can't get that out of really good comedic actors, and here you're doing it with a tiger. <laughs> successfully (laughs) you gotta give the movie props where props are due absolutely you gotta give them credit for that pretty audacious too for Coscarelli to take on a film like this and include you know a tiger two ferrets and a a hawk and have to try to get what you need from them Uh, that had to be an incredible amount of challenges and then you throw in okay we need you know, make up for our bat people mm-hmm. and we got to have a, uh, you know, make up for our, our evil witches and, uh, and we got to do, we got to have this, you know, mystic ring and things like that. And the, the weird ass, uh, throwing uh, star yeah. that, uh, Dar carries around, uh, which don't, don't you love that? He just hands it off to tall with like no lessons whatsoever. <laughs> Here kid, don't hurt yourself. Well, and didn't Dar <laughs> only use it once? <laughs> yes. He used yeah. it to. F- yeah, we only. I think we only. We only get to see it used maybe twice in the, in the entire yeah, film. Yeah, his adoptive father uses it to take the hat off of a buddy that then gets eaten by a bear. <laughs> right. Okay. Three times because he. I think he uses it to kill the witch. Yes, the father uses it to kill the witch. That's the first time. The second time is teaching Dar how to use it for fun and games by nearly beheading your friend. Um, and, right. and then the third time, Dar only uses it to uh, uh, free Rue the tiger. For for what was built up as this really cool weapon, it almost never gets used. It, it surprised me. I was afraid to tune it into this thing after so long. I've not watched this thing, and I, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you. I mean, I honestly, I don't know. And it may have been, yeah, edited for television with commercial breaks and everything the last time I saw it. I was really concerned I was going to watch this and it was going to be, uh, God, I thought it was going to be one of those sword and sorcery films. Like I was saying, you know, with all the, the crawls, the, the sword with three handles that fire like rocket, it it was going to be those, one of those movies. Uh, but it really wasn't. It still ends up being a fun movie to watch. I I know, uh, ever since I brought it up, uh, you, you had kept cringing, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the notion that I wanted us to watch this, and I'm so thrilled that uh, you 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 see the fun in it. And, and yes, I, I'm in the same boat. Uh, it it went from that thing that was on TV all the time to it was never on. Yep. Uh, 
So I've had I've had a good decade since I've probably seen that film. I was thrilled again is it, since I got to watch it on Prime. It's clearly a nice clean cut. Uh, oh, it looks uh, yeah, beautiful. No, it, it was gorgeous, uh, which made it all the more fun. I mean, say what you want about Tanya Roberts' acting abilities, but God, seeing <laughs> her blue eyes in 4K. It's it's hard not to just stare into that. So, I mean, she had that. She at least had that presence. Uh, her character was a little goofy, but uh, but yeah, she drew you in when she was on screen. Um, again, my man crush was in full effect on Mark Singer, and kudos to his trainer. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, I I was just. I was in a good, happy place watching this. It was a lot of fun. The animals are so much fun. The For what, everything that's wrong with it, there's enough right that uh, it just makes it, it, it... It's comfort food. Goofy fun is pretty much the best description I can give it. Anything else you wanted to say yeah, about it? I, I, I'm just... A, Thank you for uh, uh, for allowing this to be the hundredth episode. Uh, it wasn't probably what you set out to do, but uh, I'm hoping uh, it didn't go quite as badly as you had thought. <laughs> no, no, it was not a wasted two hours. Um, well, maybe maybe a thirty minutes was wasted <laughs> because, like I said, this does not need to be two hours no, long. No, it, it really didn't. But uh, uh, even in that. It, it's more that kitschiness of like, oh, we're going to watch the hawk fly again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're swinging yep, a stick. And we're swinging the stick. <laughs> but let, before we wrap this up, again, congratulations on 100 episodes. Uh, I mean, it, you, clearly you're passionate about this. You're having a lot of fun. I'm having a great time. Uh, here's to 100 more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, what else do I have to do, right? <laughs> the fans are clamoring for it. Yeah. Oh, yes, all of them. Well, they keep making movies, and so they keep, and I keep finding movies I want to talk about, so I'm sure I'll subject you to a few where you're going <laughs> to hey, fair. really question <laughs> whether you want to keep doing this. Hey, fair's fair, but. <laughs> I appreciate all film and even in its uh, sheer attempt. <laughs> all right. Well, that is going to do it. Uh, if anybody has any feedback on the Beastmaster or any of the films we've covered or, you know, we, we've actually started trying to put out a, a little bit of a list of, uh, of films we're going to cover. If you go to the Facebook group, um, oh, I need to go and like edit that because we've already had a little bit of a change up since we put since I posted that. Mm-hmm. You can get an idea of some of the films we're going to cover. Uh, just to give you an idea. Uh, Next episode, we are going to look at Red Sonja, which I don't know if I've ever watched, honestly. Really? That was another yeah, one of those sword and sorcery. It was, like, on all the time, so. Then I probably saw it, like, once, maybe, you know, because it was on sure. cable or something like that. But, uh, yeah, so that'll be a fun experience. Uh, the think the film after that is actually going to uh, coincide with the, anniver- the actual anniversary of the Time Shifters reboot four years ago, uh, this coming August, and uh, Matt is going to join us, and he's going to—he's bringing a film uh, with uh, Michael Douglas is uh, in it, it called Falling mm-hmm. Down, which is one I do know I know about, but I have never watched. Have you seen I that can't one? I say that I have. So th- this will be kind of fun for us. Uh, 
uh, we have somebody bringing one to us, Matt. Matt. It was he was inspired because he's like, wouldn't it be it'd be kind of cool if I could come in and join you on an episode that would air close to uh, the anniversary of when he started podcasting. And then uh, with the recent, we didn't mention it, but uh, Joel Schumacher recently yes. passed away and as well. this was one of his uh, films. And actually, now that I've uh, gone out to it again, I have actually seen this film. Okay, yes. great, good. I know, I know I have not seen it, but I know about it. I know what it's about, so I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to watching it. It's kind of one of those films that it's like, I knew so much about it that I just didn't feel the need to watch it now because <laughs> I heard so much about it. I can honestly say I've seen this in the theater, so... Oh, cool. So, yes, so the late Jules Schulmacher film, uh, Falling Down. Uh, Matt Flynn will be joining us uh, for that one, so that'll be a lot of Thank fun. You, After that, Tom and I decided we were going to, for no other reason that we just really like him, we're going to look at three Kurt Russell films. Uh, I think the order we're going to look at one, we're actually kind of going backwards uh, in, his, in the filmography. We're going to look at one from, um, I guess, was it the late 80s, called Soldier. Yes. It was like one of those directed video. It ended up being like a directed video kind of thing, I think. But it just, I found it really interesting. And uh, so it's one I like to visit every now and again. Uh, we're also going to look at the seminal Kurt Russell fan film, Big Trouble in Little China. Absolutely. And another film that is just iconic Escape from New York. Absolutely. And, and interestingly enough, Soldier was 1998. Oh, that was the nineties. Yes, oh, okay, late excuse 90s. me. I think you've seen it. You weren't sure, but I, I'm almost positive it was one of those ones we picked up at Blockbuster some night where we were bored, and we decided to check it out. And I, I think that's where I discovered it, and I think you watched uh, it. You very well could be, and uh, it'll probably be one of those. As soon as we start watching it, I'm gonna go, yes. But anyway, so we got some fun films coming up. And, uh, and then after that, uh, it's a little bit open. I, I've threw out a couple suggestions, but we got to figure everything out. And uh, with uh, the addition of Falling Down, that came in after we started scheduling. We were going to look at, you know, trying to time some things to fall on the right uh, dates, you know, coming up from you know, holidays and, and Halloween. So everything is subject to change because as we want to try to make sure to get some stuff in there that kind of kind of fits in with the theme that when, when the episodes start dropping. We certainly appreciate you guys listening. Thank you to everybody who has downloaded, you know, these last hundred episodes. Uh, it's been a pleasure producing them. Uh, hopefully, we can keep producing more, and uh, hopefully, you keep listening. And I do encourage you to share the show if it is a show that you enjoy. Let people know. You know, rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. That is still a really great way to get the podcast out there to more viewers because that those little ratings and uh, and, and reviews kind of push us up a little bit here and there and you know we start showing up in the you know, people also like this uh podcast and listen to this and so it does help uh we're of course on all the other platforms and any platform that allows you to rate and review we certainly appreciate it and does all the same thing yes so here is to yeah let's let's do it here's to another 100 episodes but uh thank you everybody for listening all this time And uh, thanks for listening for this episode. And so I guess until we uh, join you again for Red Sonia, goodbye.